Good morning. If you have a Bible, if you want to open up to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, I'm going to read from there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man a place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. You know, as we've gone through this story of Jesus, and you think about peace, and you think about the story of, of Jesus coming and foretold in the Old Testament and coming into the New Testament, and then you have uh, Gabriel coming and appearing to Elizabeth and then appearing to Mary. If you stop for a second and think about the process and what those people had to go through, there couldn't have been much peace. You think about Mary, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, Mary, who was about 14, 15 years, a teenager at the time, going to be married to Joseph. Uh, his, uh, an angel comes to her and tells her that she's, you know, she's, he finds her faithful and he wants to use her and she's going to be pregnant. And then she's like, how is this going to be? And the angel tells her how it's going to be. And so you think about that for a second. Number one, was there much peace with her? In this town of Nazareth where she was, was living, she's now going to be pregnant. Now she has to tell Joseph. Joseph, I mean, you think about it for a second. Your girl comes to you and tells you that uh, she's pregnant and an angel came to her and told her. That doesn't work. Does it? I don't think it's working. But it did. God had a plan. He had this plan foretold for a long time ago. We read about it. He said, hey, there's going to be a virgin that's going to bore this baby. And so we know this is going to happen. If you follow the scriptures, they're looking at the scriptures, they're faithful to God, they know this is his plan. But you think about sometimes where God has a plan for you, and you think about, you know, I, I, I'm going to follow it. And he said, you, you know what it is, and then you kind of get into it. And Mary knows what the plan is. She's going to have a baby. And so you think about that for a moment, and you think about what kind of came after that. She was supposed to have this baby. And then the next thing you know, they're taking, they basically, the government kind of comes down and said, you know, we want to make an account of everybody. You need to come, you got to come to Bethlehem and make an account. And you can imagine, here she is, she's very, very pregnant. Joseph going into wherever she's at and says, hey, hey, Mary, um, we're going to have to go to Bethlehem. And she's like, but I'm like nine months pregnant. I mean, I'm, I'm really, really pregnant. And Joseph's like, well, that's what they want. We have to go. Now, this morning I was at Safeway, and I was walking in, and there was a friend of mine. 
She's pregnant. I looked at her. She didn't look very happy. I said, how you doing? Not very good. I woke up at 3 in the morning. I'm aching. I'm hurting. I go, how, many, how far along are you? She's like, I'm 21 weeks. I go, you have a long way to go. <laughs> I didn't laugh like that. I'm sorry. She's not here. It's good. <laughs> but you think about it. And she's already starting to struggle at 21 weeks. And she started having problems and pain. And you think about how far Bethlehem is from Nazareth, or Nazareth, or Nazareth. She's got to go to Bethlehem. It's it's about ninety seven miles. So it'd be like you're, you're like Joseph coming and says, "Hey, we got to go to Sweet Home. We're going to have to walk. Don't worry, I have the donkey. I know you're pregnant. You ever rode in like a bouncy road in Mexico in a car? I was sick one time. Natalie was taking me out of. I had. I don't know what I had. I was hurting really bad. So they were taking me from Mexico to the hospital. Um, I was ended up being dehydrated, but I thought I was going to die. And every bounce on that road, I felt I wasn't pregnant. I can imagine someone having a baby, at, at, like ready to pop. And so here it is. God has this plan. And you can imagine Mary going, is this really your plan? <laughs> I mean, you want me to have a baby? You embarrass the crud out of me in front of everybody. I'm like the laughing stock of the town. And now you want me to walk to Sweet Home? <laughs> This, this ain't fair. Okay, let's go. So she walks. But when she's in, when she gets to Bethlehem, what happens? She's like, oh, I'm going to have the baby. And you're thinking, if I'm, if I'm married, I'm thinking, God, oh, you foretold about this hundreds of years ago. Could you have made this plan a little bit better? Couldn't you have figured it out a little bit better than this, than knowing that I have to walk somewhere? Could you have waited like two weeks for this, whatever this thing is that I got to be counted for? And so they get there, and then she has, you know, she's going to have the baby when they get to Bethlehem. And so here's the, the next thing that comes along. And you think about, you have a plan. God has a plan for your life. I'm going to go down. It, when God has a plan for your life, don't you just think that it's all supposed to work out just nice and neatly? At least that's the way we expect it from God, because he gives us his plan. At least make it right. I'm following you. I'm denying myself. At least make it easier for me. And so Mary has heartache. She's pregnant, and not, no one's ever, ever slept with anybody. Now she has to walk to, to Sweet Home, Bethlehem. And then the next thing you know, she gets there and she's going to have the baby. And then she goes to the inn. We all know the story, right? She goes to the inn and if there's no room in the inn. Once again, you're thinking, can you, God, could you have went ahead of me? You've known about this forever and a day. Couldn't you have like left a room open for me? And she gets there and she ends up having the baby in the, in the manger, I mean in the stable with the animals. And you think, couldn't have God planned better than this? Couldn't he have done a few things a little bit differently to make it a little bit easier for her? You know, a lot of times we get in the midst of what we think is God's plan. And we think we're going to have peace because, you know, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And it's not always easy. The road's a lot of time rocky. But why did he choose Mary? It says way back in the beginning, because she was faithful. Because she was faithful, he chose her. But you know, for us, you don't know what God's plan is. We're just a speck in the midst of his plan. Because you can think about Mary. Here Mary was. She's going to have a baby. Cool. I'm going to have the king of the Jews. This is okay. And she could even get a little bit arrogant possibly about it. But she's just one speck of God's master plan. It is a much bigger plan. Because you step back. We get to read about it in the Bible. But at that same time that she's being told that she's going to have a baby, he's also working all over the place. Herod gets to hear about it, right? Herod, there's a king going to be born. And then, the, then the Magi, they get the Magi's involved. 
And the wise men come there, which magi are astrologers. And so they, they come, and Herod gets them and says, hey, I hear there's a king. Go tell me what's going to happen with this guy. And so they get there, but on the way, the magi have a dream. The wise men have a dream. And they're told not to go back to Herod, but to go a different direction. And then when they get to baby Jesus, we find in the scripture that they fall down and worship him. It wasn't like Mary got on text message or Instagram or Facebook and said, hey, I'm pregnant, and everybody else heard about it. At that particular time, there wasn't a whole lot going on. But God was working his plan everywhere. And part of his plan was he was born to a virgin. Which, if he was born, you think about it, why couldn't he have just been born when Joseph was married? Well, it wouldn't have been miraculous. No one would have really believed that either. And you think about, you go down the road, how did, he was born in a manger. Why was he born in a manger? Now we look forward because you know what? He wanted, he didn't want him to be the king that everybody thought he should be. He was born into poverty. And then you think about, well, Mary, at least he's the king of the Jews and I'm a Jew and we've got the Jewish thing going on. No, I'm going to involve the wise men. And the wise men weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And so here God, with his ultimate plan, was working stuff out. That he was going to make this thing, as we read this morning, not just for insiders, but he was making peace for outsiders. The text that we read this morning says that we'll find peace in him. But in the midst of his plan, we don't always know. In the midst of his plan, you're not sure what he's going to do, what angle he's going to take, and what way he's going to turn. You know, this morning, we're going to, I want to invite two people to come, and I want them to talk to you for a little bit, because in their life, say, a married couple that had kids, and at some particular point in their life, God had a plan for them, which t- took a turn. And so I'm going to invite Jay and Christy Chin, and you can come, Aaron. I want you to hear their story. Jay and Christy, Trent and Ash. I think you guys will win that sweater contest. <laughs> uh, Jay and Christy, uh, that a couple questions for you. Uh, one is when your children, your own children, uh, were to gra- about to graduate from high school, you felt a leading towards foster care. Now tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Sure. Yep. So we weren't certain if we were going to be able to do this. We knew that we saw a need in Lane County, but we weren't certain if we would fit in with the program that they had. Uh, that being said, what I mean is, are we going to be able to bring somebody into our home, love them, give them everything that we can, and then watch them leave? and not feel something. Um, 
that was a difficult decision. We, we prayed a lot on it. Um, we did try uh, something first, and that was bringing in a, uh, an exchange student to see if that would work, because then we knew he was coming in from a good home and going back out to a good home, uh, but still giving ourselves to this and our family to this young man. And it worked out really well. So we prayed some more, and uh, we decided that uh, that, that was going to be a good thing for us. Um, I know that you guys have, we've talked, that you get calls sometimes at midnight, 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, all kinds of time of the day and night. So tell us a little bit about the chaos that kind of goes along with a phone call and then, and then receiving a student into your home. When we were reading over the questions you gave us, chaos um, didn't work. It, uh, no matter what we go through, preparing our home to bring kiddos in, they're the ones living through chaos. They're the ones that have been going through something so incredibly rough that, that the state has decided that they have to step in like y'all said, two in the morning, five in the morning, you know, that for any little kid, that's just, that's chaos. That's, that's a word beyond chaos that you can't even imagine. For us, we're blessed to have you guys. We're blessed to have our support, our friends. Um, we're blessed to know that if we're getting in kiddos, we got in kiddos once, and our community group even. If you're not plugged into a community group, get plugged in to a community group. I made it loud. <laughs> our community group brought us sheets because we didn't have any. Jay was making beds. These guys brought us mattresses just to make sure that these little kiddos had a place to put their head. You can open your doors. You can open your arms. You can open your hearts. It's not chaos. It's change. God knows we don't get to be settled. <laughs> None of us. But tell, tell us about the difference in a student after they've been in your home for a couple of days. What are some of the things that you've seen as they've gone from what you've said they have lived through chaos into? Uh, I, I'm not going to say your home is calm per se, but <laughs> no. You would try to rush. Hey, wait. Okay, so kids. Coming into homes with, with and having to go into a school that um, they've never been to, meeting people they have no idea who are, and it, it, it's it's kind of like moving, but not. Um, those of you who have moved that have lived in different areas know that it's going from one place to another. Our military families going one, from one place to another. The differences are vast when it comes to that, but being yanked away from your home yanked away from your friends and family and shoved in a place that just you have no idea who is or what is or what, what's going to happen to you. Um, after a few days of getting them in, getting them into school, getting them cycled through and all, you start to see a relaxment, but that's honestly the first few days is nothing. We're still in the middle of a honeymoon period is what they like to call it. Those can last anywhere from a few days to months and then all of a sudden it breaks. Um, honestly, 
these kids going in the school, the biggest, the biggest problem that they're having is wanting to fit in, needing to fit in, finding friends, but they don't even know if they're going to be there long enough, so they seclude themselves. They isolate themselves. And, it, and sometimes it's hard. We've been blessed so far that the kids that we've had come into our home, for the vast majority, um, they've been able to get friends, not just from school, but from our community group, from the church. And they're, and they're able to see uh, that, there's, that there's love here. Um, but there are some kids that just, they've been shuttled from one foster home to another to another because of the, tr- the trauma that they've been through. Uh, it, can be, uh, it can be excessively difficult for them. Now, am I right that Trent and Ash were the first foster kids that you had in your home? That's correct. That, okay, great. That's Ash and Trent right there. We kind of met them, but... I think it's really important because for a kid to be a good adult, he needs to be in a good home and to be a good kid. And a lot of the foster kids that come into the foster system, beforehand they didn't have this, and they would have eventually followed the path that many of their parents would have taken. And as a degenerate kid, they probably would have been degenerate adults. So in a good home in a foster care system, they can grow to be successful adults and really put a mark on society. And I guess I think it's really important because the kids, they just, they get to grow up and live their lives happily. And a happy kid makes a happy adult who makes a happy family. And that's what it all comes down to. Good. How many years have you guys been with Jay and Christy? Uh, I think about three years, maybe since 2014, 15. Number of years. Yeah, okay, so in that time, uh, Trent, you've had a lot of other foster kids come in and out of the home with you. What do you see your role as having already come in and become uh, you know, a part of the family? How do you see your role as, as leading new kids as they come in the house? Uh, I guess being a a, sim, a brother to them or trying to help and comfort them. I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> that, hey, that works. Uh, with Ash and Trent being your first kids in the house uh, as fostering, now, adoption wasn't really on your radar. Is that correct? So how did that part come to be? So when Jay and I started... Our whole point was to open our home to kiddos that needed it until mom and dad could get healthy. That We agreed that was from the get-go. That's what we decided. And then we got the call for Trent Nash. And it was our very first phone call. And we were told some things that I love my boys. (laughs) But we were told some things. And the moment they got to the house, Jay was there waiting for them. And he fell in love. And he brings them to my office. And I lay my eyes on them. And I fell in love. And it's amazing because you have this plan. We've all got our plans. But God has plans that we just 
we don't even see. And I'm going to share a little something I hope they're okay with. <laughs> Guess we'll find out. I think everybody heard you. Spoiler alert. It's like praying already. Please don't let her say anything horrible. When we got the call for Trent Nash, they were the um, hardest case in Lane County at the time in foster care. And I'll let your minds take you to some of those places. It was, they they were coming from a, a hard situation where they were in a foster home that was not qualified for them and did not treat them the way they should have been treated. Foster parenting's hard. Foster parenting is really hard. Um, the minute that we laid our eyes on these boys, they were ours. And adoption... <clears throat> We didn't talk about it. We didn't think about it. But God knew. Um, And two years later, they're ours. Answer your question. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But you got into it to be foster parents, and then all of a sudden, adoption comes along. Did you you doubt God's leading it all at that particular point? Go ahead. No. Nope. Did you ever doubt it? No, as a matter of fact, uh, as as it started coming to an opening of adoption, um, we were given the option of either adoption or guardianship, and there w- there was no question. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a well. What do we do? It was guardianship is off the table before they even mentioned the word. Uh, it was adoption. These, Not that guardianship is bad. Oh, no. Guardianship has its benefits. It really does. And different scenarios and situations, absolutely. But with uh, our young men here, um, it wasn't an option for us. Uh, we, uh, we saw them as our sons. I don't look at them and see somebody else's children. I look at them and see my children. And uh, they're amazing, and they're fantastic young men for me. We like them. Sometimes. <laughs> you know, you guys came uh, to our minds as Mike and I were talking just at this thought of peace and in a difficult world. How can we have an illustration of peace? And so your names came up and your story came up. And it was kind of only a, a little bit down the road that we went Oh, yeah, and it has to do with fostering and adoption, and that's our Christmas cause. Huh. Good job, God. Um, <laughs> but it was all about chaos and, and, and peace, and so how have you seen peace come into the lives of those you've been a- able to interact with through the fostering system? Well, you know, in all honesty, uh, it's difficult sometimes to see the peace. Um, you have kids that come in that mom and dad need to get their themselves together. They need to get off their substances. They need to get monkeys off their back. They need to get in control of their lives. And unfortunately, sometimes uh, during all that, they falter. And the kids are really, you see the light in their eyes when they see mom and dad really making the effort. And then all of a sudden it goes down. Then it comes right back up. It's a, it's a roller coaster for these young men and women. It really is. These kids just, they, they have such a hard time with it. But in the meantime, they do find their peace because they're, they're with people that care for them. Like when we bring them in our home, um, 
we don't tell them, this is our house, you're a guest. This is their house. This is their home. This is their family. And from then on out, no matter what, wherever they go, they always have a home. It, it's, it doesn't change anything whether or not they're in or out of foster care. They, once they come into our home, once they become members of our family, they are members of our family forever. Uh, it's, it's just that simple, and that's where I think that the, uh, the, the peace comes from, that they know that no matter what happens outside, they can always come back. Um, well, is there anything else that you'd like to share with your, your church family as your family sits here on stage this morning? Well, number one, we're grateful to be called up here. Uh, the foster program is a, is a, it has its ups and downs and it has its, its uh, misgivings. Um, you guys have seen the news. You guys have read the things that have happened throughout the years with the foster care system, but it's not all bad. It, it, it does serve a good purpose. Unfortunately, it has people that don't necessarily serve the purpose, but they serve themselves. Um, Christy and I went into this with an open mind, knowing the problems that the system had. The system is, I'm not going to say it's not, it's broken, but it's in ill repair. Um, that being said, we we want everybody to know that we're, we're, we don't do this just because we have to. We don't do it because somebody else has put us up to it. We do it because it is our calling that we feel that God has given us the gift that we have of bringing in these children and, and the trying times that it does sometimes, but we're, we're here and we're solid. And we wanted everybody to know that we appreciate that. Um, sorry, I'll make it really fast. <laughs> um, if you have anything in your heart that tells you to be a foster parent, if you have an open room, if you have time, do not think, do not think you can't do it. Do not think, oh, this is going on in my life, or oh, but I want to do this. If God's touching you to even consider being a foster parent, look into it because it is an amazing door that opens and and the help that you can be to someone else and not even realize it there's no barriers there's no i've known people that are in their early 20s that are foster parents i know people that are in their early 80s that are their foster, that are foster parents age isn't a thing you've got love you've got room you've got a place to be for a kid and there's so many kids in this county that needs somebody um I have to tell you uh, 13 days ago we got two little boys mom and dad have signed off rights to them they are called wards of the state the state is their only guardian they are super high needs everybody in this room pray for Jan right now and everybody that's helping Jan because they're in there <laughs> they are um we weren't prepared. You know, we weren't ready. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something nice about our community group. Um, Monday, I had to go pick up Jay from the airport. And Monday, our community group brought gifts for these boys for Christmas. Because our community group knows us. 
and they support us. And um, if you consider being a foster parent, I will guarantee that you guys will get support. You will have support in this building. God will support you. It's just something that really is necessary. I'm done talking. Sorry. Thank you for sure. I would, uh, <laughs> just real quick uh, before we end. Um, I know you guys have been foster parents for three or four years, as they've stated. I've seen uh, my, my aunt was a foster parent when I was growing up. And I, in my own mind, think i got enough kids in my house. I probably couldn't do this. But it's not only so people in our community group, uh, Brian and Kathleen, decided to adopt um, and thinking about that possibility and then looking just as every child thing that they brought to our attention and thinking that this, if you don't want to be a foster parent necessarily, there's so many different ways to help. And you can't help but look at scripture and the Bible and go, you know what, there's over and over again, God calls us to love the, the orphans and the widows and the poor and the oppressed and the brokenhearted. And so I, I, it's that James talks about it being true religion or pure religion. And so... Um, you, there's all kinds of different ways to help out. But thank you guys. Thanks for coming and being willing to sit on stage with us. And uh, you. would you guys give them a hand? So great to hear their story a little bit more. And uh, as we come to this time of communion, the, the ushers are going to come forward in just a few moments with the trays that has a, a cracker, which represents uh, God's body broken, a, a cup of juice that represents his blood spilled. And this moment is all about outsiders becoming insiders. And uh, that's what Ephesians talks about. That's what Christmas morning is all about. Um, This thought that he loved us so much that he would do whatever it took to go to the cross and make us who were once on the outside a part of the family and part of the inside. And so as we uh, take these elements, as we sing these last songs, reflect on that, that he loved you so much that, that he was willing to do anything and whatever it took to bring you in as part of his family. Let's pray and the ushers will come forward. God, we thank you so much for your love that is big enough to overcome uh, the barrier that we have put between you and us as, as sin has reigned in our hearts, um, but you have overcome that through the cross. Lord, I thank you that you would come to this earth uh, on Christmas morning in order to uh, bring us back into a right relationship with you. God, you are amazing, and we worship you alone. Amen.